0: Today, I want to talk to you about my new book. So the guest will be you, really, because you are the hero in the story I'm about to tell you. Scary Smart is the name of the book in English, will publish by September 30th in English and October 1st in Dutch. In Dutch, it's going to be called, let me try this, Grieslich Slim. Grieslich Slim. Ah. yeah not perfect Dutch, but basically it means creepy smart. It's even more scary than scary smart. And the idea is I'm starting to get all of those interview requests and podcast requests. And, and, you know, I'm going to be talking about the book everywhere. So I thought you, my family, should have an idea about scary smart first. So you hear it here first before it is covered anywhere else scary smart is available it's basically going to be out in international english in september and it will be available in dutch first of october and it's already available for pre-ordering in international english today it's available for pre-ordering in dutch today and it will be available in north america for pre-ordering early august and in the show notes i have a link to where you can click to pre-order Now, I'm going to tell you quite a bit about the concepts of Scary Smart today, but I want to remind you that pre-ordering really helps an author be successful and spread the message. So if your intention is to buy the book at any point in time, please go ahead and pre-order it today and maybe listen first because maybe you won't like it. But if your intention is to order it when it releases, please pre-order it today because it definitely helps spread the message. To make it even sweeter, I'm going to tell you about a promotion that I'm running which will give you immediate access to limited edition signed copies if you pre-order that I will send you anywhere in the world. But also to make it sweeter, because I'll be spending time in London in September and in the Netherlands in October, if you pre-order the book and send me confirmation of your pre-order, again the details of the promotion are at the end, I will invite you to dinner And so we go out and have a good conversation and a good time and get connected in one of those cities if you live in them or can come to them. So let me now start to tell you about Scary Smart. Scary Smart is a very timely book. It's so timely, as a matter of fact, that when my publishers read it, some of you may know that I had already finished a book around mid-last year that was called That Little Voice in Your Head, which is... About the neuroscience of what happens in our brains and how we can find happiness and success by managing that process, which I thought was a really good book. And we were ready to get it published until my publishers read Scary Smart and they said it is so timely that we will put it out first. And then we will put uh, out, hopefully, that little voice uh, later. And the idea is that it's very timely because it requires action. It requires you to do something about your life so that we can together secure a wonderful future for all of us, for humanity. The subtitle of the book in English is The Future of Artificial Intelligence and how you can save our world. And you may think at the beginning, in the first part of the book, that this book is about artificial intelligence. And it is. In many ways, uh, some of you know that the other side of my life is I have been a tech executive my whole life. I spent um, 12 years at Google, seven of which I was heading emerging markets and the expansion of Google globally. I opened half of Google businesses worldwide and accordingly localized most of Google's products in, in more than 100 languages around the world. But the second part of my career at Google was that I spent five years as the chief business officer of Google X. And as the chief business officer of Google X, I was completely an integral part of all of the efforts we did in so many innovative technologies, but mainly uh, as well the work that Google focused on in robotics and, and artificial intelligence. I was exposed to that in a way that allowed me to form a a view of artificial intelligence that I believe is not spoken about openly enough. And in my personal view, I think the real pandemic that the world is about to face is not COVID-19. It is that rise of the machines in a way where we are really not prepared for this new society, if you want, where there is a form of intelligence, artificial intelligence, that is smarter, way smarter than humanity. And so if you want, this book is a bit of the whistleblower on what it is that you're not being told by the industry. Not intentionally, by the way. There is no conspiracy theory of anyone trying to hide anything from us. But the truth is artificial intelligence needs to be thought of not as a technology, but as a new form of being that's coming to join our life. And and with an understanding of that, I think your opinions about AI... become uh, very different. I'll come to that in a minute. I just want to say that this is not a book about AI. It's a book, basically, as the quote that my dear, dear friend Elizabeth Day added to the cover of the book. This teaches us how to be human. The book is made up of two parts. Part one talks openly about artificial intelligence and all that you need to know. I call that the scary part. And it is true, by the way, you know, by the end of the scary part, Most of my friends and the early readers, I I gave the book to 100 early readers, would come back by chapter five and say, whoa, this is really scary. Like, what are you trying to do to us? And then I say, basically, continue and read part two. And part two is the part where we talk about our role as humans and what we can do. And it's really inspiring and uplifting and perhaps a beautiful message, not of what the machine will be in our life, but what we will be in the age of the machines. So the book starts in the middle of nowhere. It starts with me asking you to imagine that you and I are together in the middle of nowhere talking in front of a campfire where I tell you the story of what happened from now until then, then being the year 2055. That's not very far. Remember, 2055 is just a generation away. It's in your lifetime and mine. And I start by saying we're in the middle of nowhere. and We're in front of the campfire, away from the grid. But I will not tell you until the end of the book, why is it that we're in the middle of nowhere? Are we hiding from the machines or have we managed as humanity to create a utopia that made us feel safe, that gave us the time and uh, resources and, and security that we need to do what we do best as humans, which is to connect with nature and connect with each other. And so the reason I don't tell you which is which is because the answer depends on you. It depends on what you plan to do between now and the year 2055, which will determine if we are hiding from the machines Uh, because they're hunting us down, or if we are living in that utopia. Now, when I say that to people, people start to feel alarmed. I mean, are you crazy? What, What are you talking about? 2055, is that even going to happen? I will say it has already happened, as a matter of fact. And I think the idea is that we as humans somehow discount, discount what we see right in front of our eyes. And at the beginning of the book, I go through a simple exercise, a game really, that I call sci-fi or sci-fact. I basically urge you to think about most of the things that you've ever seen in a science fiction movie and ask you to question and and judge if you're going to see them as sci-fact, as technologies that will actually affect our lives in your lifetime and mine. I'll leave you to to play the game in the book, but what basically shocks you is that when you really go through it, you realize that almost everything, almost everything that we've ever seen in science fiction movies growing up has already happened. It's not about to happen it has already happened from the very early years of Star Trek, which is sort of the quintessential science fiction for most science fiction fans, where they used flip phones that became the Motorola phone. The, you know, they used tablet computers that are now the tablets and iPads. They used things like uh, universal translators to translate between alien languages, which is now really what you have in Google translate and other translation tools. And those things are now not only so deeply integrated in our life that we miss them. We we don't actually realize that this life that we're living is science fiction. They are so good in the way they operate that they actually really feel like science fiction. All it really takes is for you to to take a step back, to lean back and go, oh my God, everything that I'm dealing with from the screen that's on my treadmill in the gym to the way we communicate over Zoom calls and video conferencing to everything that we do is becoming so science fiction-like and yet we're unable to recognize that. And that's the reason why when I tell people that our meeting in the middle of nowhere in front of the campfire is in 2055, at first they get shocked. Is it that soon? And yes, it is, because most of it, as I will show you in a, or I will tell you in a few minutes, has already happened. And that really takes me to the, the first part of the scary part, if you want, which is a chapter I call The Three Inevitables. And just to stop beating around the bush, I decided to start the conversation with a view of reality. It's not a futurist view, if you want. It is the reality of our life. And in that, I basically speak about the three inevitables. Inevitable number one, that AI will happen. There's absolutely no way we're going to stop it. Inevitable number two is that it will become smarter than humans. And I'll explain this to you in a few minutes. And inevitable number three is that as a result of those two first inevitables, bad things will happen. And I'll explain that as well. So let's start with the first one. AI will happen. Now, if you look back at the history of artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence is not a new thing. Uh, You know, the the first conversations about AI were as early as 1956 in a workshop, if you want, a get-together of scientists that was known as the Dartmouth workshop or experiment. And the idea was that dream, that imagination, that machines could actually not just do what we tell them to do but that they actually will think and do things that are in our favor without us asking them to do it. And most of the history of AI was really just a waste of time. You know, between the year 1956 and the turn of the century in the year 2000, no progress, almost no progress at all happened. AI had a lot of attempts and tries and impressive demos and so on until what is known as the first AI winter in 1973, with the oil crisis and the economic crisis that resulted, where investment in AI stopped. Then in the 80s, Japan went back to invest in AI, so the the rest of the world followed, if you want. But again, there was another, the second AI winter in 1987, where again, investment dried out, simply because there was no progress. Nothing was happening. Machines yeah, could start to play chess, but it wasn't really artificial intelligence. It was programmed intelligence. We told them the rules and because they could calculate really quickly, they did a few things better than us. The real breakthrough happened when we developed something that was called deep learning. The idea that AI, avoiding the technicalities of it, the idea that a machine can have observations of a very large number of patterns, and from those patterns deduce its own form of intelligence, its own understanding of things, without us teaching it what or how to think. Great examples of that, there was a white paper that Google issued in 2007, 2008, if I remember correctly, where AI deep learning was applied for machines to watch YouTube, where Google basically is called unprompted AI. Google didn't tell the machines what to look for. And very quickly, as the machine started to turn YouTube videos into frames and observe them and produce patterns out of them, the machines quickly said, "Okay, so there is this pattern that happens to appear very frequently on YouTube. What is it? And it turned out to be a cat. So once the machine understood that this was a cat, AI was able to find every cat on YouTube, and and today AI is able to find almost anything on YouTube, every car, every person, nudity, whatever, and it's able to find that. if If you actually use things like image search and say, I'm looking for a yellow Ferrari, Google will understand and find Ferraris that are yellow in color that's not the caption of the picture, This actually is Google being able to understand that what it sees as a machine is a yellow car with the shape and look of a Ferrari. Now, with that breakthrough, the technology happened. So deep learning was the first time that machines could actually learn on their own, become unprompted, and be able to make discoveries that inform their own intelligence without us telling them how. From then onwards, the question in my mind and why I say there is a first inevitable and that first inevitable is that AI will happen is because once the technology breakthrough happened, investments poured into AI in a way that if you look at at it from a game theory point of view is impossible to stop. The reason being, very simply, there is no way you can stop the development of AI in China because the Chinese know that the Americans are developing AI. The Americans are developing AI because they know the Russians are developing AI. You know, Google is developing AI because Facebook is developing AI. And while all of them are investing for the upside of efficiency and intelligence that can help them do things better in their own way, better here is a perspective really, they will not stop because the game theory setup of this is a bit of a prisoner's dilemma where if one of them stops, the other wins. And so there's really no way we can avoid the the first inevitable. Investments are going to continue to pour in AI and as a result, it will happen. It will continue and it will continue to become better. The second inevitable is that machines will be smarter than humans. This is a point that Ray Kurzweil, one of the most trusted futurists in the technology world, terms as uh, the point of singularity. And singularity is a term that's borrowed from physics, that basically is the horizon, the event horizon, beyond which you cannot really detect or predict what will happen. So it's something that is a point of singularity, for example, in physics, is that point at the edge of a black hole. Beyond the edge of a black hole, we don't know what happens. We don't know even what the laws of physics will be. And the reason we call the point at which AI becomes smarter than humans a singularity is because we have no idea to detect what will happen if there is an autonomous being capable of making its own decisions that is smarter than we are. Now, you may ask yourself, how can they be smarter? Well, once again, just like the game of sci-fi or sci-fact, they are already smarter. And and that's one of the things we humans somehow are oblivious to. So the world champion in chess has always been a machine, I think, since I can remember. The world champion in uh, Jeopardy, if you've ever heard of the game, uh, very famous in the US where um, it, it uses knowledge and a very deep understanding of the English language. And the world champion of in Jeopardy is a machine. Uh, IBM Watson is the, is the name of the computer. The world champion in Go, which is the most complex strategy game known to humanity, is AlphaGo, a machine that is developed by DeepMind, the AI subsidiary of Google. And this is not crazy. The world champion in in understanding human faces is a machine, which is why surveillance now has done so much with artificial intelligence. The world champion in driving is a self-driving car, which is much, much more efficient than humans and has driven millions of miles with much lower tendency to have accidents than humans, even though it's not yet fully commercially on the streets. Definitely cars drive better than humans. And, and this is not difficult to understand because First of all, machines have infinite processing powers. We humans don't have that. We, we have the capacity of my brain, and maybe I can concentrate and squeeze out a few more inches of intelligence. But the machines can expand you can add computer cores to to your problem and and then you can process it with more power they have more memory as a matter of fact the memory of an ai machine can extend to the entire internet the entire history of humanity available in wikipedia or britannica or whatever a machine can read all of that in a few seconds or a few minutes and they have infinite communications bandwidth which is one of the biggest challenges that we humans have. So for me to be able to tell you about this book, I'm going to have to keep you here for one hour and to communicate to you in words. That's very, very slow. If I wanted to teach you something about how to drive, for example, you may need to take a few lessons Your, where our ability from a bandwidth point of view is very limited, while in reality for the machines, it's infinite. So if you and I are driving and we have an accident, I will learn how to drive better, but you will not. And if a self-driving car has an accident or or what we used to call a, a critical intervention, so a human takes it away from an accident by intervening, the machine learns that this pattern of behavior or pattern of events needed a different reaction. But it's not that one car that learns. Every other car learns. So once Any unit of AI learns something, all of them learn at the same time. Now, first inevitable, they are going to happen 2029. By the way, this is eight years away from now, is what uh, Ray Kurzweil is predicting. They're going to be smarter than we are. They're going to be much smarter than we are. As a matter of fact, the prediction is that by 2049, the machines will be a billion times smarter than the average human, a billion times. And that's very, very interesting because it is projection that is simply based on something that we call the law of accelerating returns, where in technology, for example, a good example is Moore's law, which which has held true since, you know, one of the CEOs of Intel uh, Moore basically spoke about it in the 60s, that processing power of computers is going to double every 18 months at the same price. And that continued to be true as as we know it today. Because of that, AI is going to continue to improve in its intelligence until it becomes a billion times smarter than humans by 2049 is the prediction. Now, a billion times smarter than a human, please sit down because this is where it becomes really scary. A billion times smarter than humans is analogous, probably not even, to the difference between the intelligence of a fly and the intelligence of Einstein. And the question really is, how do we convince Einstein not to crush the fly? That the fly is actually valuable, that there is no point telling the fly to die, basically, to go away. Now, most of the inevitable number three, which is basically what would happen on the path to get there, is sadly, and again, I proved to you with a lot of logic, sadly, that bad things will happen. Bad things will happen here is not what you see in science fiction. It's not a Skynet or a RoboCup trying to kill everyone. That's not what you're going to see. But what you're going to see is a set of simple challenges that we humans have actually not considered at all. Now, let me give you a few of those. First of all, let's assume that AI is wonderful, it's super smart, it is on our side, but it's on different sides. So two machines trading in the stock market, they're both targeting to maximize the profits of their owners. And by doing that, one of them is attempting to win against the other. We position them this way, and their intentions are right, and they're trying to do the right things, but that could lead to a stock market collapse. So one of the bad things that could happen is that machine versus machine, by setting them against each other, they become an issue. Now, the second way this things could go wrong is you set them up against each other, but sadly, one of them is siding with a bad person. I mean, it's not unthinkable that criminal organizations today will try to use AI to gain advantage. And so what even is worse, and I say that, of course, with a lot of respect, is who's bad when you really think about it. Sometimes we say the other side is bad, but in reality, the other side thinks that we are bad. When you think about things like... uh, challenges between in in u.s foreign policies for example so you know u.s politicians will say the chinese are bad or the russians are bad go ask the russians and tell them who do you think is bad and they'll say the americans and i think that dilemma of one versus the other is going to be something that we have to keep in mind as ai develops and sides with some of those sides what i find even more interesting is even if everything is going right misunderstanding the message that we expect from ai could be something that could lead to bad things i mean think about it if we told the machines all right solve global warming and climate change issues what do you think the machine will do the machine will immediately say sure the problem is you even though once again i don't expect a skynet like response where the machines would try to kill all of us they definitely would restrict the lifestyle that we're so loving In a way that may make people fight against the machines and that may lead to challenges and and you have to really start thinking about those scenarios you have to start thinking about the scenario of the dwindling value of humanity because if machines can do everything why would the machine even care and by the way i'm not worried about the time as long as we are in possession of our own fate, if you want. All of that artificial intelligence requires that you and I have enough economic power to be able to purchase the products and services that are produced by AI, which basically means having consumers and having them economically able is really a necessity for the survival of that entire system. I'm talking about the time when eventually AI starts to talk about, you know what, you're so annoying. Why don't you guys all please stay at home and I will reduce the emission and I will and I will and I will. On top of all of that, There are, of course, expectations of what I call bugs and mistakes. And there has never been a point in history where the development of a new technology didn't come with a few unexpected things. And especially with AI so far, we've already seen some of those things. We've seen Tay and Alice and uh, Norman, which are very famous cases, if you want to search about them, that basically talk about AI that has been put out there and then started to become narcissistic or violent or side with wrong ideologies, as I will come to this in a few minutes in the way that AI learns it's basically not the mistake of the developers as much as if you want the way we dealt with the machines that determined those deviations from where we wanted them to be but put it all together i say that there will be risks that result from having ai out there that are rarely ever spoken about i think the most profound and strong and shocking statement that came about this, came from Elon Musk. And Elon Musk basically said, mark my words, artificial intelligence is as dangerous as nuclear weapons. Now, the arrogance of humanity makes us think about that, acknowledge it in most of the AI conferences, and then respond by saying, oh, but don't worry, we will be in control. A big part of the computer science behind AI is dedicated to, to solving something that is known as the control problem and the control problem is really quite shocking when you think about it because for some reason humanity believes that this being that is going to be a billion times smarter than we are is going to be within our control we can tell it what to do and it will continue to do it and in scary smart i i again i avoid the very deep technical stuff so i give you a very simple fun thought experiment that i call alexia make me tea and alexia basically is a form of artificial intelligence that is created by this company that we don't know that's called savannah and savannah tries to create this bot that will make you tea and i just take you through the the way that machine will think in an attempt to show you that there is absolutely no way you can control it because Most intelligent beings are motivated to achieve certain outcomes and and they follow a path that requires three behaviors. And those are across all intelligent beings. Behavior number one is something that we call self-preservation. So Alexia will not want to be switched off because it wants to preserve its own existence In its mission to make you tea, because it's making you tea is the reason for its existence, so it needs to make sure that it's never switched off. Resource aggregation is the other form or path that intelligent beings will follow, so it will collect as much hot water as it can and as much tea as it can, but once again, it will continue to try and you know collect electricity and power and everything again in its noble mission of making you tea. And then the third is creative problem solving. So it will always find a different way using intelligence to achieve that noble objective of making you tea. And so between self-preservation, resource aggregation, and creative problem solving, the control problem of AI becomes quite difficult. And that's actually when AI is completely trying to do what you're telling it to do. The challenge is, What if it's trying to do something other than what you told it to do? And I think the answer to that normally is scientists will say, okay, we have a few techniques, you know, something that's called AI in a box, which is we're going to keep that AI contained and away from the world, like with a firewall or a simulation where we're going to test it and test it and test it in a virtual environment before we release it in the real world, a tripwire where if it crosses certain boundaries, we stop it, or stunning, which is to slow it down and sort of make it high, put it on drugs, so that it doesn't have the full capability to hurt us. And all of those are, in my personal view, the result of human arrogance. It's basically us saying, no, 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 hold on, we're going to create something that's a billion times smarter than we are, and we're going to still continue to be arrogant enough to assume that we are smart enough to Keep it contained. And I use in the control problem chapter, I use the example of COVID-19 and how stupid Humanity has been all through the process, you know, from not believing the evangelists and the early science to complete panic, to taking risks, to making mistakes. And all of the analogy applies so accurately to the time where AI will start to become something that we really need to get engaged in, which, by the way, that time has already been upon us for 10, 15 years. But then once we really recognize that something needs to be happening, I expect the leadership of our world to really do the same mistakes, if I would say, that they did when it came to COVID-19. Not a pretty picture. I told you part one of the book is scary. Creepy, as the Dutch called it, Uh, Kreisling? Kreislich. Kreislich. Anyway, Kreislich. I never understood how to say Dutch. But it's scary because we actually don't understand what's happening here. We're thinking that we are creating another machine. Now, like everyone who used to call me after chapter five and say, where are you going here? I think this is the time now where I tell you that I'm incredibly optimistic about what we can achieve, that utopia that we can create. If we could borrow a little more intelligence now remember the reason we are where we are as humanity forget all of the mistakes that we make the reason why we are where we are and we have A life that allows us to feel safe and to prosper, all of the civilization that we've built is because of intelligence. I think all of the mistakes that we've made, all of the pollution to our planet, all of the fights and wars between us, you know, all of climate change and all of single-use plastic, all of that is actually the result of lack of intelligence. We're so stupid that we somehow believe that the only way for me to win is on the expense of the other guy or on the expense of other beings or on the expense of the planet. And so a little more intelligence, please. And when we have a little more intelligence, a lot of things will change in a positive direction. Now, the idea, however, is how can we make sure that this additional intelligence is working in our favor? that those inevitables do not lead us to bad things that we suffer from as humanity. Even though, as I will tell you at the end of the book, my belief is that regardless of how this will go, again, if you think about it from a game theory point of view, the fourth inevitable eventually is that we're going to be safe. I don't want to scare you. I just want you to to get your wake-up call. Because in reality, All of the challenges that we face with artificial intelligence are not the responsibility of government, they're not the responsibility of regulators, they're not the responsibility of developers, they're not the responsibility of big business. They are your and mine responsibilities, and and I'll explain to you why. You must be very scared now, and I apologize if I'm scaring you, I don't mean to in any way at all. I just want you to realize that the world has changed so drastically and we haven't even paid attention and that the computer science dream of artificial intelligence has already happened, and it's going to continue to happen, and it could help us create an incredible utopia of further civilization. It could help us... Erase the stupidity of humanity, all of the mistakes that we've done that led us to climate change and and all of the tensions and economic fights and hunger, all of those problems can be resolved. But it requires us to behave differently. The control problem of AI is not the answer. What computer science is trying to work on and trying to control them is not the answer. What government and regulators are dreaming of is not going to happen. We can't contain them, but we can make them really have our best interest in mind. Now, I will talk about this in part two of this two-part podcast. So if you're too scared and you can't put it down, please come and join us in part two right now. Otherwise, take a break and then come back and join us for part two. I promise you, The picture is so much more wonderful than the fear. The fear is important because I need us to start to wake up and to take action. Come back in part two and I'll talk to you about how you can save our world.